Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good evening. Years ago, when I first met Adam, he was probably about this tall, I guess. I guess so. Somewhere around there. So, uh, of course, I was pastoring another church, and Daryl came to be on staff with us, and then God uh, called us to uh, start day three. I knew he did. Uh, I was sitting earlier thinking a minute ago how blessed uh, God has made us, you know, Amen. as a church, and we don't ever need to take that for granted. But tonight, Adam's preaching on the family. And I know I just did a message on the family a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that doesn't mean you can kick your mind in neutral because you heard about the family a couple of weeks ago. I think it's the Holy Spirit saying we need to listen more. And we need to hear more. So would you join me in prayer for our hearts and also for Adam as he shares with us tonight? Father, God, you... You, you illustrate for us in your word how important the family is. You made a man and you made a woman and you brought them together and you gave them a, a command to, to go and, and, and create a family, to go out and have babies. Father, you, you did that even before there's anything like the church. Father, we know you have a huge heart for the family. And Father, I know there are probably plenty of people gathered here tonight that love their families and have a huge heart for the family. But Father, just like Adam and Eve, their first encounter was face-to-face encounter with you. Help us to realize for our families to be all they need to be, we need to put you first. Father, help us to do that. Help us to put you first. Speak to us tonight about your heart for the family. Give us ears to hear and hearts to decide to do what you call us to do regarding the gospel and our family. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good evening. One of the hard things that is up to me to do is, after having such awesome worship and song, is to keep the momentum going, but preaching. I hope to be able to do that, to keep the momentum going through studying and looking at God's Word tonight. Um, we sang, I, I just love when we sing about the truth of the gospel. I mean, there are, in my humble opinion, way too many Christian songs out there that are not gospel-centered enough. <laughs> they are man-centered. And so I, I love when we sing about the gospel truths. And, and so what my plan is tonight, my desire tonight, is to just bring that gospel down on the ground. Um, this is our second talk in this series that we are going to be walking through over the next several days uh, called The Gospel in You. And this morning, we looked at the gospel and our own personal hearts. We started talking about ourselves as individual. And, and what I tried to do this morning was drive home the idea from Ephesians 2, that the gospel, that the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on sinner's behalf, the gospel just doesn't have something to say about your eternity, but something to say for you on Thursday morning when the alarm clo- clock goes off and on Saturday afternoon when the lawnmower breaks again or on Monday evening when you get the test results back. That the gospel has something to say about who we are. That in Jesus Christ we've been given a brand new identity. That's what we talked about this morning. Because we've received a heart transplant from Jesus through his death and resurrection, we now are empowered to change, to be different. We've been given and handed a new identity. And it means that the old us, the sin that we struggle with, can be done and over with and that we can walk in newness of life. We find, though, that this faith that we have, this newness of life, is not a private faith. While it's certainly a personal faith, it's not meant to stay private. This personal relationship with Jesus actually has massive implications on our everyday, very much public life. 
And tonight I want to spend our time looking at those who know us best. Thinking about our relationship with those who know us probably the best. And that is our families. Now before I even wade into these waters, I just want to make a few clarifying comments before we get started. First, there are some of you here who are children and teenagers. This sermon is for you. This sermon has massive importance, big importance for you. Secondly, there's some of you here tonight who are single adults. And what I'm going to say tonight applies heavily to you as well. Singleness is a gift from God. Maybe just for a season in your life, maybe for your entire life, but singleness is a gift from God. And your family, though it may look different than some other, others of us, it is worthy of the application of, that I'm going to make tonight. Third, there are some of you who are divorced, who have recently went through a divorce, who have been contemplating divorce tonight. In a group this size, I'm not going to assume that's not happening. I know there are single moms and dads and families that are made up of children from previous relationships. To all of you, This sermon will apply heavily to your situation. Fourth, there are some of you who are senior adults. You may not have children or you have children who are grown and out of the home. Some of you may not be senior adults yet, but but you have children. You're you're empty nesters. I I realized when I said that, uh, let me sidestep that. I'm not not dealing with that later. Those of you who have grown children, this sermon still is for you. It's for you. Tonight about 10, we're going to have a second sermon just for you guys to know. Uh, And last, there are those of us here who are married. You may have kids, you may not. But in your mind, at least your marriage is fairly healthy. Uh, Maybe you plan to have kids. Maybe you've tried and not been able to have kids. This sermon is totally for you. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll try. I'll try. (laughs) What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that just because all of us are different, all of us have different family backgrounds, all of us have different relationships, all of us come from different situations, what I want to do tonight is not give you a list for 10 steps of how to be a better husband or be a better wife or a better child or parent. I want to speak to the hearts I want to speak to you and not give you rules about fixing your home or making a perfect home. My hope tonight is to help you see how the good news of Jesus Christ can transform you individually and your home, no matter what kind of home it is. Personally, I really feel like the Lord pressed this on me this past week. See, this is the talk I've actually, in our talks in this series over the next few days, this is the talk I've wrestled with the most. Um... Because families are so different and there are so many dynamics, especially in a church of this size. But this week, something specifically happened to, to me, and maybe to Megan too, but, but it really caused me to kind of lose it on this topic. Megan and I uh, got new phones, which means that you have to take your old phone and plug it into your computer and get all the photos off of it so they can erase your old phone and take it away, right? Which obviously led to Megan and I sitting in bed looking at old photos and watching videos for like an hour. And as I sat and watched the video of my kids just a few years ago, I watched videos and looked at pictures of how much they've changed. I lost it. I started crying. Not because my kids have grown so much. I mean, they're still kind of babies, okay? Our oldest is only six. So it's, it's not like they, there was this huge change, like, you know, they were teenagers or adults. But the reason I lost it is because as I watched the videos, I noticed how I was speaking to my kids. You want to know how I was talking to them? I was talking to them really sweet and kind and loving. It's unfortunately a way that I don't feel like I've spoken to them in a very long time. So over the last year or so, our, our kids have struggled with some outburst of anger. And, and what God had showed me as I was watching those videos that that's primarily my fault. That much of their struggles are born out of seeing how I respond to them and to their mom, how I speak to them, how I'm shepherding them. 
that much of the good fruit that was coming up then was because of the water I was pouring over them. And much of the bad fruit that we've unfortunately seen has been because of the filth that I've been pouring over them. And I'll give you a free one of charge right quick tonight. Parents, when was the last time that you got down on your kid's level and apologized for sinning against them? It's something I find myself having to do regularly. Anyway, that was free of charge. All that to say, I don't feel really qualified to give this talk tonight. But I know one who is. And I know what I need to hear right now is that in my weakness, Christ shows his strength. That in my weakness, Christ shows his strength. And he shows his strength in our homes in our hearts, and, and I'm just going to preach to myself tonight and hope you guys get something out of it, okay? Because I, I need to hear this. I need to hear the message of this. So, if you have a Bible, turn him to Matthew 16, verse 25. And as you do, let me pray for us. Lord God, I do pray. God, as we look to your word this evening, God, that you would Convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would grow us where we need to grow, that you would help us to know how to love our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our husbands and wives, and our children, our aunts, our uncles, our stepmoms, and step whatever kind of family situation we find ourselves in. That you would help us to know how to love one another well. That you would help us to know how to give our lives away to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just have one verse for us tonight, and I will we'll support it with some kind of overall passages. But this is it, Matthew 16, 25, a verse that many of you are familiar with. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, of course, we could apply this verse to every area that we're going to be talking about over the next few days, and maybe that's kind of the point, is that... This kind of verse could probably underline every talk I'm going to be making. But tonight, I want to ask the question of how this verse specifically, if we could make a specific application, how this verse specifically applies to the family. How does this verse specifically apply to our homes, no matter what they look like? A home where Jesus is not presented, but a home where Jesus is not just presented, I'm sorry, he's not just presented, but a home where Jesus is trusted and depended on shall strengthen us for the everyday task of being a family. Is what I want us to see from this verse. I want to come at it three ways, kind of three points this morning. Grasping God's way, glorying in our true brother, and getting the gospel home. There they are. Grasping God's way, glorying in our true brother, and Getting the gospel home. Like a good Baptist. I went with G. G, G, G. Um, So let's think about this verse a little bit tonight. Point one, grasping God's way. Now when we jump into Matthew 26 here, one of the important things to remember is, is what has just happened. Jesus has just had this conversation with his disciples about who he is, his, his identity. And you remember what he asked them? He asked them, you know, who are people saying that I am? And his disciples tell him all the other people, what all the other people are saying he is. And, and maybe he's a prophet or, or maybe he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. But then Jesus turns the question on them. Do you remember that? He says, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answering for everyone else. You know, Peter, he's gung-ho. He steps forward. He's like, all right, I got this. You are the Christ, meaning the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one sent from God to bring salvation to God's people. And in response to this confession, what does Jesus do? And Matthew 16, 21 tells us from that point on, Jesus starts telling them that he has to die. That he has to suffer. So he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem for a purpose. All right, get that? He is walking a costly road to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and on the third day be raised. What Jesus was teaching them was fundamental to who he was. It was fundamental to God's way 
for him. And it was this concept of losing his life. And whether we realize it or not, gaining your life through losing it is God's way to the beautiful life. And that's what Jesus is teaching them here. And we'll consider Jesus' own example of that in just more in a moment. But first, as we think about that, as we think about that, that God's way to the beautiful life is through losing it. Let's think about it from another angle. Think about the greatest two commandments. You remember what those are? A teacher of the law comes to Jesus and asks him what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus says, what? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. So coming in second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's saying the whole Old Testament depends on these two things. Notice where the direction here in these commandments is. Notice where the direction of our love, our affection, our care, our commitment, our allegiance goes. Does it go toward ourself? No. Does it center the world around you? No. It is other directed. First toward God and then toward those God puts around us. Now let's take these two truths and tie them together to understand God's way here. Grasp God's way. Jesus teaches us here that the greatest purpose we can devote our lives to is giving our lives to worshiping God. Jesus teaches us here that the greatest thing that we could ever do is love God by devoting our entire self to him. This is why the Westminster Catechism starts off with this first question. What is the chief end of man? Like, what is man's ultimate purpose? And this is the answer. To know God and enjoy him forever. That, that, that's, the, that's the chief end. That should be our ultimate goal. God, Jesus says here that that is the greatest thing that we could ever aspire to do. Is to know God and enjoy him with all of our lives. And from that joy flows a giving of our lives away to others. And the promise that is given to us is that if, if we give ourselves away to God and to others, then we will gain life. That we'll gain the beautiful life. Or to put the two together in one statement, we are told to devote our worship completely to God, our care completely to others, and when we give our life away in that way, we are promised to receive the good life, the beautiful life. And that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if you guys think about it in this way, but we hear commandments. Sometimes it can just be really weighty. It's like telling me something else I got to do. I already have this thing due on Friday, and I already have this person on my back about this, and now you're telling me that God wants me to do something too? And we just have these, these commandments can begin to weigh on us. To say to anyone that if you follow Jesus... This is so countercultural. Even in our churches, if you say to somebody that if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to give up everything for him. Everything. Even the good things. It's offensive. It's countercultural. Think of what Jesus says right after that statement back in Matthew 16. He says if anyone wants to follow him, they have to take up their cross. And friends... It might be stating the obvious, but it's often overlooked. The cross is ruthless. To take up your cross means you're going to die. A.W. Tozer said it this way. To carry a cross means you are walking away and you are never coming back. The cross shows us what it means to die to self. Friends, I know you all know this. Death hurts. Dying hurts. It's not easy to be nailed to a cross. But the promise of God here is that through dying to ourself comes life. And this is the truth of this passage. The truth of God's way is the way we die to self so that we can find life. But how can he call for such a thing? Specifically, if we're thinking about our family, how could we ever, ever offer ourselves willingly and joyfully, sacrificially to our families? 
How can we ever do that? How can we lose our lives for God by sacrificially loving our families? I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I believe this. I, I believe this truth. I believe this truth. I, I mean, I probably learned this truth here growing up in this church. I believed this truth when I was a single man. I, I really did. Like I knew it was in the Bible and I believed it. And I, I think Megan and I both would say we believed it when we got married and when we started having kids. But it wasn't until we got married and started having kids that we realized what this really meant. What it actually means to sacrifice for somebody. Because when you're a single person, you can't do whatever you want. As long as you know you don't upset your parents. But that, ne- that never happened. But when you get married, or when you start having a family... Or when it's your job to take care of other people even. You realize that you've got to make some sacrifices. And it's hard. Okay, so we're supposed to die to ourselves. That means that we aren't supposed to say every mean thing that pops into our head. Okay, we're supposed to die to ourselves. That means that now that we have a kids, we, kids, we can't just do whatever we want to do and expect everything to turn out Okay. As a good husband and father, I'm supposed to still date my wife. I'm supposed to love and and nurture my children. But I can't. I mean, I told you guys at the beginning, I can't do it. I feel like this last year, I've stunk it up. And yet God still gives me this commandment. What am I supposed to do with that? I mean, you feel the weight of it. What God's word commanded but our lack of being able to do it. And I think that this is really where the disconnect is in our lives. How can we actually be the people that God calls us to be in our families? Like, I don't have to get up here, and we'll talk about at the very end, but I don't have to get up here and tell you guys, like, husbands, love your wives as Christ. You know Ephesians 5. Wives, you're supposed to follow your husbands. You're supposed to have their back. Yeah, you know that. You're not supposed to yell at your kids. I think we all agree about that. I mean, how many parenting books are there out there? How many marriage conferences are there out there? How many articles are there written to single people or, or, or any number of family issues that center on here's what you're doing wrong and here's the five steps to fix it. And you get to like step three and a half and you're like, nah, this ain't worth it. I can't do it. I can't do it. The question lingers, how? How do we have the power to have families that are radically different then how they would be if we just gave in to every impulse? How can we have a family the way that God calls us to have a family? Friends, I think the key is, and it's to beat the same drum I beat this morning, but to a different tempo, point to glorying in our true brother. What we find from God's word, and I want to give you this phrase now and, and keep coming back to it, is that Jesus never calls us to something or anything that he himself doesn't do first. Let me say that again. Jesus never calls us to anything that he himself doesn't do first. What do I mean? Look with me at Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. Since therefore, the cho- this, is, this is what John was just talking about. Right before we end the worship set, okay? Just kind of connect some dots here. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, meaning Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps. Have you ever thought about that? But he helps the offspring of Abraham, meaning and he's right, he, the author of Hebrews specifically writing to, to, to Hebrew people here. But, but he's getting at that idea that he died for mankind. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation, it's a big word that means payment, propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Friends, we see in this passage here that Jesus becomes. That Jesus becomes. He becomes the true older brother, the great older brother who walks the road before us. And what is the road that he walks first? 
Friends, it is the road to death. It is that costly road to Jerusalem, that hike of Calvary's hill. And do you see that here? That Jesus set aside his heavenly glories, that he came, God with skin on, living the life that we couldn't live, and then dying a death that was ours, that we deserved to die. And he came, he was like us, so he could make a payment for us, so that he could free us from the bondage of sin. He was the beautiful older brother. This is one of the things that I've tried to press into my two oldest boys. That his older brothers, it is their job as these pillars in our family to lead the way, to protect their younger siblings, to watch out for them, to stand up for them. It's the only time I give my kids permission to fight. Like if somebody's messing with your sister, get in there and make sure he never does it again. That's what I get amens about? All right. <laughs> but that's what I want to train my boys to be true older brothers that watch out for their family. And friends, we see here in this passage that Jesus was the older brother par excellence. That Jesus was the greatest older brother. And what was in it for him, you might ask? And you might have some people who say nothing. He was selfless. He gave himself away. But that's not what the author of Hebrews goes on to say. No, when you get to Hebrews 12 too, it tells us what, what it was before him when he endured the cross. It says there, it calls us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus, our true older brother who came, was like us in every respect. That walked that costly road to Jerusalem. Did it for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? I mean, if you think about it like this. Jesus comes from heaven, right? I mean, he's, he's in glory with the Father. Everything is at his hands. I mean, what does he not have? He's God. Like, he... He can have anything he wants. He has the greatest joys in all the world. So what is the joy here that he's talking about? What is the joy that he doesn't have yet? Why does he have to endure the cross to get this one joy? What is that joy? Friends, we are the joy. We are the joy that was before him. He endured the cross to make, as we looked at this morning, children of wrath into children of God. Or to use another family analogy which the Bible makes so central. He pursued his bride. You remember that old song, The Church is One Foundation? We like to sing that at Waverly. We're 92 years old. We like singing those old songs. Y'all remember The Church is One Foundation? From heaven he came and sought her to be his only bride. Friends, it was the joy of his bride. It was the new covenant family his cross would create. We were the joy that he had come to win. Friends, this is the family-making gospel right here. That we were orphans apart from God. That we had no hope of being brought into the family. But Jesus came and redeemed us, making us children of the living God. And to do it, what did he have to do? He had to die. He loved the Father so much. He loved God's children so much that he willingly took up the greatest cross and laid down his life to give us new life. And that's the great hope we get today. Friend, that's, that's where the fountain for strength in our families springs from. And I really believe that that is the fountain that we must constantly be pushing our families toward. I don't know how many of you watched the show, This Is Us. Any fans? This Is Us? Come on now, y'all. The Pearson family, they're, they're amazing. Man, I mean, there's never been a show that I've ever watched on television that has made me cry every single episode. But This Is Us, man, all the feels. Like, I cry every episode. And, and, and I'm like watching it, and tears start running down my face. And I look over to Megan, and she's sobbing, and then I just start crying more. 
Because the show really gets at this idea of family, doesn't it? Like every episode, there's a family moment. And it's such this complex and layered show. But as we've watched it more recently, we've noticed it's missing something. There's this awesome family, yet they have their issues. But they're together and they're a family. And they've had these hard things, spoiler alert, they lose their dad. Like these hard things happen. Sorry. Um, you kind of figure that out in the first episode. So. But, but there's these hard things that have happened in their lives. But they're still a family union. But there's something missing. You know what it is that's missing? The family is completely devoid of God. There's never a mention of God on the show. There's never any mention of religion or faith or anything. And so you see these family, this family who, who understands when they do bad things, that knows they should love each other, that they work together, that they come together, work together. And you ask yourself, why? Like, what's propelling them to do this? Like, I want a family like that. Why do they do it? And you get this idea that, that there's, they just do it. And it just comes from somewhere. But I don't know for you, that's not my life. When I get up in the morning and it's before I've had my coffee, I'm not necessarily looking to like hang out and have the best family time in the world. I'm a little cranky. I mean, I mean, that's just a silly example. Like, how often do we find ourselves lacking as, as, as teenagers? How often do you find yourself like, man, my parents want me to do that again? Like, why? Why should I do that? Like, why should I obey them? Why do I have to keep obeying them? Or your brother or your sister does something to you again. You're like, why do they keep doing this? What is the reason that I have to keep loving them? And it brings up this interesting question. Why do we as Christians, and how can we as Christians, live our lives among our families with any hope, any success, any goodness? What is the message that, that, that propels us to love each other? What keeps us going as a family? I want to read you this quote from this awesome book called Give Them Grace by Elise Fitzpatrick. This is what she says about our homes. She says, most of us are painfully aware that we're not perfect parents. We're also deeply grieved that we don't have perfect kids. Any amens? Okay. Yeah. I was talking about the perfect parents part, not the kids. Yeah. But the remedy to our mutual imperfections isn't more law, even if it seems to produce tidy and polite children. Christian children and their parents don't need to learn to be nice. They need death and resurrection and a savior who has gone before them as a faithful high priest, who was a child himself who lived and died perfectly in their place. They need a savior who extends the offer of complete forgiveness, total righteousness, and indissoluble, I don't even, adoption. It can't be erased, okay? It can't be dissolved. To all who will believe. This is the message we all need. We need the gospel of grace and the grace of the gospel. Children can't use the law any more than we can because they will respond to it the same way we do. They'll ignore it or bend it or obey it outwardly for selfish purposes. But the one thing is certain. They won't obey it from the heart because they can't. That's why Jesus had to die. Friends, that is it. Understanding the gospel and grasping the gospel and depending on the gospel gives us a right understanding and a right worship and a right motivation for losing our lives. And so if Christ is our only hope, if Christ is our only strength, our true motivation, our true power to obeying God and to obeying God's call to lose our lives for his sake then how does it actually play itself out? So I've made the argument in point one that God calls us to give our lives away, right? I think we all see that. It's pretty clear. But Jesus says, if anyone would follow me, he must lose his life. He must die to himself. And I've tried to make it clear in point two that, that the only way that can happen is through gospel motivation. That unless we keep coming back to the gospel, we can't willingly and joyfully and with a right heart actually lose our lives 
So the question remains practically, how do we get the gospel in our homes? How do we get the gospel into our homes? Point three, getting the gospel home. Look at the verse one more time. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We've tried to wrap our minds around this call as a family. I've really, really prayed that we would, especially magnetized parents, but, but just as a family in general, that we'd be able to teach our kids this truth. And so in our home, we've taken up this as our family motto. My life for yours. My life for yours. I don't know if we have a slide. There it is. Yes. This is our family motto. My life for yours. What does it actually mean? It means showing the gospel to our families and everyday sacrifices for one another. Like I think we understand how we give our lives away in, in big things. Like if our kids are sick or there's something big that happens in our family. We lose a loved one. But I want us to understand that it means my life for yours. When someone leaves their shoes laying on the stairs for the umpteenth time. Sometimes it means, my life for yours means sometimes you just pick their shoes up for them. And you put them away. And you never say anything about it. I'm getting at it. I'm stepping on toes right now. I'm coming at you. I'm coming at you. Or when I'm painting the walls in our new house and my kids want to help, my life for you means that I let them help. Even though I know it's going to create an unholy mess and I'm going to be left scraping up paint off the hardwood floor for the next four hours. It means that I let them paint the wall anyway. Because it means I get to spend time with my kids. And we get to build a relationship doing something side by side. And if that wall looks ugly for the next 20 years, that's okay. Because we got to spend that time together. Or when my children don't do what I tell them. Or my wife doesn't do something just the way I think she should. I don't get to cut them down. I don't get to belittle them. Or make them feel the weight of it all. Or make them feel stupid for doing something wrong. Because Christ has already taken that upon himself. And so my life for yours means sometimes just keeping my mouth shut. See, like I said, so often I think we think about how the gospel affects these big things in our lives that we face as families, which is good and right. But what we see in the gospel is that it means something for our everyday lives as a family. For kids, it means helping them understand that in Jesus they have a Savior who obeyed his Father perfectly. Even to the point of death. And that if they trust in that Savior and follow that Savior and look to that Savior, then they can find the power to obey the, their parents as well. And what we find when we do this, when we turn our eyes toward the gospel, when we are walking in obedience with our tongues or our attitudes or our actions, what happens? Well, for me, my wife and my kids love me so much more when I am soaked in the gospel. I don't know if that's true for any of you guys. But but when I am not spending time with Jesus, guess what? They don't like me that much. Because I'm not that great of a person because I have all this sin in my life. And I'm not taking it to Jesus. I'm letting it spew out. But that's not the important part. Whether they love me or not. That's important, but that can be put aside. What happens when I soak myself in the gospel is that they love God more. That they see Jesus more. That my kids have a reason to look to God and say, yes, you are good and you are worthy of me following. And so I wonder, like as spouses, as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents, like, are we helping our families love Jesus more? Are we making it easier for them to see the power of Christ? That's what offering your lives does. That's how offering your lives for one another can shape a home, can make a home the happiest place in the world. And so, friends, to do this, and here's where the true, the true gospel test lies. 
There has to be true humility before we're able to offer our lives for our families. Friends, when you see what you were, what you were and yet how Jesus completely gave himself for you to make you right with God, how can you get mad at someone for leaving the faucet on? Y'all hear what I'm saying? When you see, as we talked about this morning, the dead man walking that you were, and how Jesus redeemed your life, and yet you still know there's all of those things in your own heart that he needs to help you with. How in the world can you get mad at somebody for leaving the faucet on? How in the world can you get mad at your kids for just being kids? How can you get mad at your spouse for doing the same thing that you've been talking about for 40 years that you wish they would stop? Friends, seeing Jesus... And meditating on the gospel has real power to change the ways that we interact with our families. We see how a sinless Savior died a horrible and bloody death, a death that we deserved so that we could be welcomed into his family. It frees us to love and give ourselves in the same kind of way as he did in a sacrificial, self-denying, grace-filled, and winsome way. And it permeates every aspect of our families. So as we close, I just want to settle on Ephesians 5. I don't, I don't have a slide for this. And I, I just want you to hear it and meditate on these words from Ephesians 5 and the into 6. It's, it's a great passage about the family. Starting in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine. That doesn't have anything to do with this sermon, but I'll save that message later. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. But he says, he says, but be filled with the spirit. And how should this gospel powered spirit filling look? One passage that we're going to come to tomorrow night. He says next, he talks about the church there. We skip down to verse 22 through the beginning of chapter 6. Look at what Paul says. This is what spirit-filled family looks like. Gospel-centered family looks like. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Here it comes, as to the Lord. Do you see that? God is central. I, and it just notice it. God is central in every command he gives here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You see how he's tying it up in the gospel. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And what is the purpose that he might sanctify sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word? Husbands, you need to be reading the Bible to your wives. That's the main application there. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And just to the husbands, to those of you who are married, Husbands, you married a beautiful woman. It's your job to keep her that way. May God give us grace to do it. For no one, I'm sorry, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am telling you it refers to Christ and the church. Do you see how he's tying this gospel, this this marital relationship in the gospel? However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And he's going to turn to parents and kids. Children. Obey your parents, how? In the Lord. You see how he ties even the kid and parent relationship to God. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What is that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then check it out. He's coming right back at you. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. Friends, the whole reason I read that is to see 
that biblically speaking, the gospel-centered home is centered on God. It is centered on Jesus Christ, that he permeates every relationship and every aspect. And it is a work of the Spirit. And it causes every relationship, every conversation, everything that we do down to the minutest thing, changing diapers, of getting dressed, of making dinner, of driving. It causes it to be affected by Jesus. He changes everything. And it's spirit-filled. So this evening I want to close before we sing one last song. But just pray. But just spend a little bit of time praying, and I invite you to pray with me, by praying over our families and our homes. So will you join me as we pray? Lord, you say in your word that the home is to be filled with the gospel through the spirit. That God in our flesh we are weak, but the spirit is strong. So God, I just want to spend some time now just praying for every person in this room, whether they're single or married, whether they're young or older, whether they have kids or they have grandkids, there are no kids. Lord, just praying that the Spirit would come and fill our families. That we would learn more and more how to see how the gospel changes and, and moves and shapes our homes. God, I pray that the husbands in this room and, and, and those young men who de- desire to be married even, Lord, God, that we would grasp what it means to love as Christ loves. That our heart cry would be my life for yours. That we would lay down our lives in submission to you and that we would lay down our lives in loving sacrifice to our wives, Lord. That we would not demand our own way but that we would look to Christ who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but humbly submitted himself to death even death on a cross Lord I pray for the wives in this room even those single ladies who desire to be married Lord God I pray and I ask Lord that you would help wives to see that following their husbands that giving their lives away for their families. That encouraging and holding up and helping their husbands is a work for you. That it is a work unto you, Lord. That they would constantly be reminded of Jesus Christ. He took off his robe and got down on his hands and feet and washed his disciples' feet. Who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. May we grasp that, Lord. May we grasp that as parents and grandparents. That God, that we would not put children on this pedestal. That we would not make an idolatry out of having perfect children. Or the best baseball player kid. Or the best violinist kid. Or or some idea that we have for kids. But that we would seek in every way. As parents and grandparents to push our children to the cross. May we learn how to lovingly serve them with the goodness of Jesus Christ. May our words be kind and gentle. May we be willing to be long-suffering and flexible and not overbearing. God, I pray for those in this room who are children. God, I pray that the children in this room would see how obeying their mom and dad how 
submitting to the authorities that you have put over them is their obedience to you. And that God, you promise that when they obey, it will go well for them. And they may not see that now, Lord, but would you give them eyes to see Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. God, I pray for siblings in this room who may be having conflict or relational issues, whether they're young or old. That you would help them to love one another. That you would help them to defer to and lay down their lives for one another. Lord, I pray for those adults in this room who may be learning and and, and growing and, and having to care for their own parents as they get older. Would you help them to know how to lay down their lives in willing sacrifice? And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are senior adults, Lord, who may feel like at times they're done with this whole family thing. Lord, would you help them to see that they still very much have an opportunity to love and care for those around them? Would you help them to see that their ministry to their spouse is still not over, Lord? And that, God, they can be an example to the rest of us of what it looks like to finish the race well. God, there are so many dynamics. There are so many situations in our families, Lord, that that I could not even get up here and begin to go through them all, Lord. But, But you know and you promise to care for us in Christ. So Lord, teach us, give us wisdom in how the gospel shapes our home by the power of the Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.